Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. Our global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio Metrics is an authorized financial services provider. AssetMap is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? AssetMap is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how AssetMap is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listeners discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left, after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa where we push the evolution of financial advice and today it's with someone that I rank really highly in terms of listening to him, watching his shows and just looking at the content that he's putting out in terms of technology. Uh, his name is Matt Reiner and Matt is a um, CFA charter holder, a certified financial planner, more than a decade's worth of experience and just pushing the industry forward. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me and uh, really appreciate those good words. And I'm looking forward to, uh, to the conversation and hopefully providing some, uh, some good insights for everybody. It's great to be connecting so far and you are based in Atlanta. Give us a little bit of a background in terms of how you got into this industry. Like. Yeah, so, um, you know, I grew up in the industry, right? My, uh, my dad started one of our wealth management firms about 25 years ago now. Uh, and I, I grew up in in the space watching him build that firm. I always joke that uh, uh, you know everybody was watching cartoons, and I was watching CNBC and learning what an ETF was uh, at that time. And so, you know, growing up, this was the only space that I really thought was where I'd work. And uh, in terms of this profession, uh, it was either this or be a professional baseball player. And, and that kind of dream was uh, died on the vine in high school. Um, so this was the route that I wanted to go, and uh, I went to college with a focus on, you know, coming back and, and working for for my for my old man's firm, and um, I did just that. And we started serving individual families and started building up a book. And I was fortunate to have the opportunity to start another wealth management firm that was focused on the the what we call as the Henrys or the high earners, not rich yet, or the the mass affluent um, segment of the market. And uh, I learned a lot building that firm, and both of them, I'm fortunate, are going concerns. Um, and so I've, you know, I've sat on the seat of an advisor. I've helped to start an RIA, build an RIA. I'm now managing partner over at both of those firms. Um, and then about eight years ago, we we kind of dipped our toe into a technology venture that's now evolved into what we know as a new company called Benjamin, which is a business support system 
uh, for wealth managers, meaning just being really the connective tissue between all of their technologies to help eliminate the menial mundane tasks that are so needed in the space, but don't need to necessarily be done by a human. Um, and so I've kind of now made this natural evolution, or maybe it's an unnatural evolution into running a technology business that's serving this industry. I'm, I'm passionate about this space uh, because it's been part of my life for the majority of it. And um, uh, and I think that this tech, and I'm passionate about technology and this industry is always behind the curve when it comes to technology. And so uh, I'm now running the the day-to-day operations and strategic vision for our, our tech company, Benjamin. Like they say, you need to scratch your own itch. How did it originate that you started up a technology business? Yeah, I think um, naivety is probably a, a good starting there, right? Uh, being very naive that we could just go build you know, our own technology company and then kind of the natural evolution that comes from learning and, and iterating. But you know, we, had a, we had some specific needs. You know, we, uh, when we first started out with the technology endeavor, uh, it was actually meant to be a direct-to-consumer application, so just an app on your phone. And we were trying to solve at that time a problem or a challenge that we were faced with within our newer RIA and trying to build up our pipeline of prospects. And so we're trying to leverage technology to help build the pipeline to prospects and also to streamline some of the efficiencies of onboarding them to allow us to continue to build up the pool of of people we could serve. Um, And we learned a lot from there. And we did a great job on that. Just we didn't have enough capital to really kind of promote it the way that it needed to be. But we built a lot of amazing technology um, and then the natural, the, the, the evolution of that, of Benjamin really came from, you know, we knew that we had to close down the direct to consumer application. We didn't have enough capital to continue to fund it. Uh, but we said, how can we use this technology? And our other, and our other major RA was running into some challenges around scalability and onboarding um, and, and also just personnel, right? We were having to expand our number of people on our team really drastically. And we wanted to kind of slow that down without losing white glove service that we were so good at. And also allowing us to continue to grow like we were. And so we took that technology and we, we, we fit it in and molded it to solve a specific problem around onboarding and the entire onboarding process of getting, getting the paperwork started, getting the paperwork back, getting the accounts open, getting the accounts traded. Um, and, you know, we implemented it and we built towards that and we solved a major challenge for that firm. And, and the individual saw an uptick, a great uptick in capacity. Uh, we saw a great uptick in client experience and we saw our profit margins also see an, a slight uptick as well. And at that point, we said, well, we have something here. Um, and we started talking to our peers in the space. And uh, we then started to expand out into other avenues of the entire client relationship uh, from there. So, you know, we learned from each step of the way and then we iterated and we solved a niche that we needed within our own firm before we launched it as an enterprise solution. But today now we're an enterprise solution serving nearly 50 uh, other firms across the country. I think you see it so often, those reports talking about capacity of the advisor to take on more clients and actually service their clients at scale. Like, how have you managed to bridge that? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's the the, 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 the biggest challenge with that, right, is that this is a service-based business. And, and you know, the, the biggest key or the, the key component of this service is us as a human. And we're limited in capacity, right? We have a limited number of hours in a day. We, there is nothing that's going to ever allow us to create more hours in the day. Like the, you know, 24 is the amount, and we got to figure out how to work within that. Um, and so it, what we found is that a lot of what we do day in and day out in our business is menial, mundane, repeatable, repetitive tasks. And, and the reason, and we analyze that both internally and with other businesses, and, and the reason that those are there is because we're having to go through multiple systems 
to follow a process to complete just one task within that process. And when you start to build that on top of each other for a growing firm or even a firm that's a kind of a lifestyle firm, it becomes burdensome. And because our um, and because our uh, our time is limited, we got to figure out how to create time, get time back within that block. And the only way to do that is to eliminate some of those tasks. And so we said, how can we, what are the tasks that we can eliminate? What's the burden or the barrier to eliminating those? Let's start chipping away at those barriers to start giving people time back. And then they can now start getting better utilization out of the eight hours of their day, as opposed to having to spend two hours doing these other things. If we can give them two more hours, that's scale right there, right? And that and that's the ultimate goal of what we're trying to. That's a 25% uptick that we're trying to focus on. And that's our whole focus as a firm. We're not trying to replace any technologies that are out there. We're trying to figure out how to better use those and better utilize our processes to get back a few minutes every day because that starts to compound uh, and provide a scale that, that is so, so needed in the space. So Matt, are you saying that you know switching between these different applications is actually what's costing us so much time because we're moving into something new and then you have to get used to that layout and where the data is and going through that process? Yeah, I think that, so the, the, the example that I tend to use, right, and, and, I, and because when you talk about it with firms, it's like, well, it's really, I, I know where everything is, like I understand the system really well, it's not that big of a problem to me, like, it, but, but the thing is, is we, we, we say that because we're so accustomed to it and we know it really well. And so the example I use is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? That's something we can all relate to. If I ask five people how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I'm going to get five different answers. And most of the answers are going to be like, you get the bread, you get the peanut butter, you get the jelly, put it on the bread, put it on top and cut it in half. And there you go. You got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But it's because we know we are so accustomed to knowing how to make peanut butter and jelly that it's just ingrained that we've, we've we haven't realized that that just doing that would only take like a second, but there's so many steps in between that you have to go open the pantry door, pull it out, open it up, get the knife, wipe the knife off, spread on the peanut butter, spread on the jelly, put the bread back, open the fridge. There's, there's over, I, I've documented it. It's about 50 plus steps that it takes. And, and so doing it once is probably not a challenge, right? It doesn't take that much time, but if you want to do it a hundred times or 200 times, then in order for you to do them more effectively and more efficiently in, 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 in less time, you have to start eliminating some of those tasks in between, right? How can we make the peanut butter just be on the, on the table at all times, right? How do we not have to open it? Um, and how do we start eliminating those tasks? And that's what our focus is, right? And if we, and, and it's, so it's not necessarily just the bouncing around. That is a problem because you have so many different systems and they don't really truly talk to each other, right? They all say they integrate, but the data that I really need is not in there because we're only pulling in certain pieces of data and it's constrained and that's a problem. Um, and so I always look at like the simplest process that we have as a firm, like scheduling meetings, right? Everybody has to do it, whether you're a growing firm or not, lifestyle or focus growth firm, doesn't matter. You're scheduling meetings. Everybody's doing it. And everybody's like, well, it doesn't take me that long. I just send the email out. Okay. But you have to draft the email. You have to get your Calendly link. You have to put it in the email. You have to update your CRM. You then have to respond back to the email. You then have to then set up a, a workflow in your CRM to do the meeting process, right? There's like 10 steps. And if we're doing that 100 times a quarter, that's a lot. And so if you can cut out five of those steps to so where it only takes 50% of the time, that's a lot of time given back, uh, even though you're not thinking about it because you know how to do it so quickly because you've done it so much. 
uh, that doesn't mean that it's the right way of doing, right? When you need to figure out how to scale, when you're in a limited scope, you have to look really innately and in intricately at every step in order to make sure that you can create scale in the process. Yeah, just like you would optimize an investment portfolio, you want to optimize the tasks that you and your team are doing. And also, you know, bringing in new hires. Uh, we've experienced that, saying, okay, this is how we do it, but is this really, does everyone do it the same way and is it well-documented? So the um, an example I'll use is that I, you know a firm I'm really close with. Uh, they recently went through a, a CRM transition, right? They transitioned from a CRM that they had been using for ten plus years over to a brand new CRM. In, in a perfect world, it, it, it sounds so great, right? That that you know we're going to do it, and it seems so simple. Just move the data from here to here and replicate my processes. Um, and what happened was is when they moved over, because of how the technology is built, it's different. Right. And so processes and the ways that you accomplish tasks is different um, over on, on, on this side. And, um, and and that threw everybody for a loop and it caused chaos. And, and it's because we get just so comfortable with the way that it is. But the way that it is doesn't mean it's the best way it should be. It's just that we don't like to do change. So we just get we just stay with it. And and over time, that firm is going to excel and be a better firm because of that switch. But that, you know period of time, call it three months, six months, 12 months, whatever it is, of change and uncomfortableness is not fun. And too often, we're just like, ah, I don't need to do it. But if you really want to get better, you have to go through those tough changes in the moment. And too much in this industry, we've kind of just said, let's not rock the boat. We're just going to stay this way. You know, it, it's worked. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, as they say here, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, you know, this is how we onboard people. It's not the best way, but we're just going to do it because it's worked for everybody else before it. That doesn't mean that it's the right way and it gets you to where you want to be as a firm. Yeah, as opposed to that constant evolution. I want to talk a little bit about experience versus efficiency. And there's a new report called New Frontiers that speaks about, you know, prioritizing efficiency in a financial planning firm and a business where you see this kind of wave of practices building their own software versus buying industry leader software. What's what's your take on that? I'm, so I am a I, I'm a I run a software company. So you got to understand that from a bias. If we if we want to be if we're on a financial podcast, so yeah, I give disclaimers, right? So here's the thing. I think that where we're getting to, and I think it's a really exciting time in this space, right? Where that type of study and that type of mentality is is starting to to bubble up in our space because it shows that people are thinking uh, how to business size and, and taking in control and wanting to innovate on their own. And that's gonna that's really, really exciting for this space. And I think that that's a great mentality shift. If you look back 10 years, that was not even on anybody's radar. Now it's like, well, let's just go build our own technology, right? And I think that that's an amazing shift. Uh, from my lessons of building technology, right? We've been in this for eight years. We started as a different, a whole different type of technology, but it's tough, right? And it's hard. Um, and, and if it wasn't, everybody would be doing it and not everybody's doing it. Um, and so you've got to be careful and cognizant of what your core competency is and what it, your core competency is not. But what I think is a benefit that comes out of this is that it, we as an industry need to push, as a financial advisor, wealth management industry, need to push software companies to build software with us in mind as opposed to them in mind, uh, meaning the software companies. And I, and I and that, you know, yes, I'm biased, but that's what I think I take so much pride in of what we do at Benjamin is that we take the advisor in mind at all times and we're trying to solve their specific problems as opposed to solving a problem that we want to solve that we think the industry needs to adopt. And, and I think that 
the reason that this whole thing is bubbling up is because software companies are are building technology to drive you to have to use their software. Integration is not true integration. Integration is you can view a few things, but it's not the things that you want. And it's very just inside of a box because that's what you need to be able to build software. And, and so I think that what this should lead to is a stronger, more detailed focus on fully deeply integrating, building out robust APIs and encouraging other technology companies to solve these problems using APIs from other providers and working together uh, to solve that without having the metric be how many times are people coming into my software, but rather how many tough challenges am I actually solving using our data, our technology and others data and how many are we solving for that specific advisor? So, uh, you know, I think it's a really great shift in mentality. I think it's a really, you know, I would never discourage people from going and trying to build their technology. I think it's just a, it's a, it's an expensive investment, uh, both from a monetary standpoint and a time standpoint. Uh, and the beauty of what we have in this innovation over the past 10 years in our industry is that you have a lot of technology providers that want to partner and that you can have more of a say on um, because they're still not fully established like the sales forces of the world uh, that you can in, uh, influence uh, some of their roadmap if you get involved with them early on. And that may be a better route than building it yourself. Yeah, I think it's such an important point. We had Brendan Fraser on the podcast talking about human-centered advice and what you're saying that so equally software providers should be advisor focused when they start building this out but then you have these like no code or low code platforms like notion or podio that you can do a lot of this yourself without having to build the software business do you think that's a trap no so i i think that um and, and to your point about you know like the human centricity of it right one of our core values is be human centric and everybody's like, well, you're a tech company. Why are you saying be human centric? You're building technology. And it's because we are building technology to allow firms and our clients to have more and deeper and more meaningful human to human interaction. We're not building technology to replace humans. We're building technology to make humans better at being human with other humans. And that's something that is so important, I think, as opposed to just building technology to try to replace people. We're trying to build technology to to work in parallel with people. And, and, and that is the biggest thing. And I think that that's where technology has had such a difficult time in this industry because we've tried to say, well, there are, the human could be replaced in some ways. And I say that that's completely wrong uh, and untrue because the human is the most important aspect of this industry and technology should uh, work with them and not against them. And so, uh, and I think that the no code, the, the low code, no code thing, I think that that's an amazing route that we're going. And that's, you know, uh, it, it gives power. It gives flexibility. It gives um, an, an opportunity for firms to understand technology from a different perspective uh, without having to make that drastic investment. And, you know, that's one of the ways that we continue that I push our team on is saying, how can we make this as simple for our teams as possible that use Benjamin? How We want to give them the flexibility, right? We don't want to build a solution that can do everything and anything, but we want to give them the, 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 the controls to, to, to kind of tweak it and fine tune it to make it work for them um, without just saying, hey, you've got to fit in this box and go. And low code, no code type solutions allow for that. And that's what we strive for on a product side with our, our, our technology is make it as simple for them to use and give them as much flexibility as possible for them to, to have within the platform. I'm starting to see how these pieces fit together. You know, with Benjamin 
smoothing out the process, you might end up saying, oh, I don't need one system that does everything because there's this search for the holy grail that if I can just want, find one system to tick all my financial planning needs, and we see a lot of firms trying to commit everything into one and being very disappointed with the outcome of that. Well, I mean, I think it's just natural. I mean, I think it's natural for, for us to just know. I mean, you can be you can be good at a lot of things or great at one thing. Right. And uh, or, or great at few. Right. And, uh, you know, it's hard to be great at everything. It just really is. And uh, I think that an all in one solution, you're, you know, it's going to work for some people and it's not going to work for others. The, the challenge that, that is there is that you can't really be great at every aspect of it. If you're trying to be a CRM, a portfolio management system, a custodian, uh, document management system, an e like it's just that's a lot. And so our approach that we've always taken is, you know, these other programs are 10x better at doing it than we could ever be at, right? Portfolio management, you know, Orion, Adapar, Black Diamond, they are 10x better at portfolio management than we will ever be. And why do we want to compete with them on that, right? Let them do it, but let's help, let's help our teams get more out of those softwares that they may not be able to get because they don't know or it's too time consuming or whatever. Let's utilize the APIs. And, and use the information that is generated from those systems and what they do really well to fit into an ecosystem to allow firms to use that data in different ways with data from their CRM, right? We don't want to be a CRM. They do great things within there. Um, and, you know, we made a decision, you know, a, a little while ago, right? You know, Calendly, Calendly schedules meetings 10x better than anybody, right? They just are really good. That's all they focus on. So why don't we just, but there's still, you still, there's processes within the calendar that using the calendar link that still need help that fit more of what we do in our business as wealth managers that they don't solve for because they don't want to solve for that. So how do we then use what they have built and they have a great solution to help advisors in their processes that they have that are specific to them. And that's the whole vision of what we want to be as Benjamin is be that connective tissue that brings everything together, and, and I call it POA. You pull, you organize, and you act. But we don't want to be. We want to pull, organize, and act on the other system's data uh, to make it better and to be that true digital assistant. Uh, and it's and, you know, the other example that I tend to use is the Intel chip inside, right? Everybody remembers the Intel inside commercials. You know, it, if you were to go ask the Intel chip, well, how does the Intel chip work? It's going to be really hard. But all you do see is you open the computer, and your computer screen works. That's what Benjamin's meant to be. And I think that that's how technology needs to think about it. How can we power, you know, uh, the firm as opposed to kind of try to be everything uh, to everybody? That's just really hard to, to solve. Maybe someone solves it and I give them props for being able to do it. But uh, I, I'm sure there's going to be some downfalls that firms aren't going to like about it. Yeah, it's unlikely to get that right as opposed to focusing and honing your, your efforts and your skills. I'm wondering what is the number one reason why firms fail to implement new technologies like Benjamin? Like, what is that pushback that you're seeing? Yeah, I, I, I would I would say let's separate it because I think that we we um, I noticed it when I was inside the firm. Let's talk about why I think firms fail at adopting technology, and then and then what I've learned from that um, is I, I think that there's too many. Right. We have to always, you know, adopting new technologies, you have to learn it. You have to log into it. You have to have another username and password. And then you have to remember, when do I go to that technology versus going to another technology? Right. OK, yeah. so I just did this. So I go to the CRM. Do I go to portfolio management system? Do I go to my email? Do I go to, you know, my planning software, whatever it is? You have to remember that. And and the thing is, is that we have we're in silos and everybody has 
their own processes that they go through in using technology. But then each vertical within a firm, ops, admin, advisors, et cetera, have different goals and desires of what they want to pull out of each technology, right? As an advisor, I want to pull one thing out of the custodian, whereas a CSA wants to pull something else. Same with the CRM, same with everything. And so it's really difficult, right, to help everybody understand it because the people that are leading the charge come from one perspective and they're trying to solve it for everybody. And so adoption just becomes a little bit lower because I have to remember what to do. I have to remember the password and all that stuff. And I think that that's the major challenge in our space, right? All we want to do is go and serve people. To have to remember how to go about which, which system to go into, it makes it a lot, lot more difficult. And the more that you add in, the more difficult it becomes because the more people you have to train, the more things that you have to remember on. So I think that that's the major challenge. And, and so, you know, how I view that is like, okay, well, how do you build a system to where I don't have to log in to a particular system, but I can continue to just log into what I already have, right? How can I get better out of that? And that's, you know, that's what we focused on because we saw that our adoption was low of technology because you had to log into it. And so one of the first things that we did at Benjamin was say, you don't have, there's only one person that ever has to log into Benjamin inside your firm. Everybody else lives in the other technologies and you never have to have a username or password to log into Benjamin to get the power out of him. And that to us was saying, we're going to make adoption very high and very easy. And we're also going to now help you get better adoption out of these other technologies as well, hopefully, because they're just focused on those. And, um, and so I think that the, the need of a new technology and need of learning a new technology and need of new passwords and usernames, I mean, that's, there's only so much that we care to learn. Uh, the key, and, and, and it doesn't stick with our core part of what our business is, which is talking to people. Yeah, it sounds like the team within the business is getting lost on that roadmap saying, okay, like, where do I need to go to service this client optimally and fulfill my role? And, you know, what comes to mind is that we're not hiring software developers. We're hiring people typically with a finance background or typically with a relationship background that's there to service a client, yet they're getting stuck behind these tools and it's become a requirement to actually do your job to do that. Just like, you know, 10 years ago, it was Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. Now it's the the list of software tools that you use. Can we talk a little bit about the actual details of, of how Benjamin works and how it's linked? And, you know, is it something that a firm in South Africa could actually utilize if we use the same technology pieces like Wealthbox and Calendly, for instance? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, so what Benjamin hinges on is the integrations with technology. So right now we have about 15 integrations of, of the core tech stack, right? We look at the core tech stack right now of CRM, portfolio management system, custodians, uh, calendaring system, uh, and then we have DocuSign and some, some other ones. And, and plan, financial planning is coming uh, towards the end of the year uh, and early next year. Um, and so what our goal is, is to integrate with them, right? So what I said is POA, right? We integrate into all those systems on behalf of all the people that are there. They have to authorize it. Then we pull in all the data. So every piece of data that you have in your CRM uh, pulls in and then we organize it, which means just unifying it, right? We unify so that all the different pieces of data for Matt Reiner's household is all assigned to Matt Reiner. We're not creating five Matt Reiners because we have five different integrations. Um, and then we allow that data. It's all built on you know, natural language processing and, and robotic process automation, you now can use that data, whether it's household data, contact data, task data, event data, doesn't matter, to drive action by Benjamin. So let's talk about the simplest one, right? A flyover of the simplest one that we can all relate to is scheduled meetings, as I was alluding to earlier, is how the, the process goes today is that you 
uh, you know, usually have a, a recurring task for your annual review meetings that comes up and it means that you need to go then go go reach out to the client to get it scheduled. And then when you complete that, it starts the next step part of the process for meeting prep. And then you have, you know, your meeting and you put your notes in and then to do's, right? That's kind of like really high level. Uh, but the idea of scheduling the meeting still is someone has to do it, right? Even if you have Calendly, you still have to go and email the client, everything of that nature. So now with Benjamin, just on that one simple task, because Benjamin has everything unified, he knows who the user, who the advisor is. He knows who the contact is. He knows who to, who to, who to contact and how to contact, email, text, whatever it may be. And Benjamin takes it off the plate. And he's the one that goes and communicates with the client using the calendar link to get everything scheduled and then can complete the task in the CRM to move the process forward. So you now just eliminated that small piece of making the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, if I go back to my last reference, out of the equation. But he's using all the different data points uh, and all the different systems uh, to help with that one simple task. And he can do over, uh, you know, it's growing every day, but over 100 plus tasks. We call them missions that he accomplishes, uh, but hundred he can do over a hundred different tasks uh, already. I think this version, this one version of the truth, is a piece that's often missed in most businesses because you have these like different pieces of information all across the board, and you don't know what's the most recent and where do you update and how do you access it. And what this is saying is that like Benjamin's pulling all the pieces together, and you can set up the integrations and you can set up the tasks and the parameters around that. I'm wondering what that first response is when a when a financial advisor actually sees this in action and realizes, hey, it's just saved, you know, so much time. Relief. Relief, right? It, it's real it's re, it, that's what it is is that, you know, I've taken some it, it's like it is for any human, right? When you take something off my plate, right? When something is taken off my plate, whether it's because I accomplished it and I checked it off, or that I've been able to delegate it effectively to someone else, I feel a, a little bit less weight on my shoulders, right? And I can now go and think more creatively, innovatively. I can better serve and do what I, I'm meant to do. And that's what they see, right? And, um, and, there's, and we show an ROI on it, right? We, but from a, that's, a, that's the you know, metric-driven way. Uh, but the, the feeling emotional side is relief. And, and as they start seeing the ROI of it, they start to believe more in it. And our goal is to continue to hopefully have them entrust Benjamin on, on being delegated to more tasks for them uh, over time. So Matt, what does Benjamin look like five years from now when it's, when it's evolved? Like, what is that vision that you have in mind? Yeah, I mean, um, there is so much um, you know, space for us to evolve as a business. And I think that what we're doing today is only the beginning, but it adds a lot of value, right? And we're providing best practices. We're, we're allowing Benjamin to execute on data, uh, but we're also learning a lot. And we're learning on the processes and how people interact both internally and externally in certain situations. And what are the biggest questions? What are the biggest concerns? And what firms run the best and are able to have the most you know, clients to advisor and see their margins grow. And we're, we're learning a lot of this stuff. And, you know, the next iteration or evolution of Benjamin really is around uh, taking the, the, those data points and being able to, as opposed to you having to train Benjamin, uh, being able to have Benjamin. So we're, we call that we're in the training stage. We want to move into the stage where Benjamin is proactively recommending best practices based on analysis of what you're doing inside of your firm, your clientele, and how that relates to other firms and other clientele that look similar. 
and providing that to where you then just become the approver. You never have to log into Benjamin. If we can get to a point where nobody ever has to log into Benjamin and you just say, yes, do that or no, don't do that. Uh, and then Benjamin's able to go and start acting. That's the next stage of it. And then we do have a natural desire because of how connected this industry is from a whole financial, holistic financial planning aspect, which is where we need to go as an industry has become more and more built into a holistic financial plan, deep financial planning firms. Uh, we do have a desire to continue to bring in more of those other service providers that are needed to help with the financial planning, like estate attorneys, like accounting, like insurance, and having Benjamin be the central hub to help the coordination efforts to really enhance the client experience across the whole financial plan and also to enable the advise the client to be able to act on and follow through on things more effectively and easily, which then make the advisor better and makes all these other firms better. And so that's the natural evolution that we see. Uh, and, and yeah, we hope to be there in five years and, and with the help of our partners and our clients and our investors and all those types of people, I think we will. That sounds super exciting. And we're sitting with tons of data of our clients, yet we use so little of it. You know, we have their hopes and their dreams and their desires. And what strikes me often looking at practices and talking to people is that we actually don't use that, you know, in the way we communicate or the way we you know, we put out our, our strategies with our clients. Is that something that's starting uh, to change? Yeah, I smile. Um, and, and whether uh, it's something that I talk about a lot on, on my videos that I put, post out and in a lot of the blogs that I write is, uh, we are an industry that has more data than any other space out there. And everybody's like, no, Matt, there's no way. You know, Facebook and Amazon and Google have much more data than us. And I say, they may have more, more amounts, but we have more data points on our clients than any of these other systems ever have, right? To your point, hopes, desires, fears, worries, concerns. We know when clients are going to get divorced before they even know they're going to get divorced, or we know before their spouse knows that they're going to get divorced because we're helping them think through that process. We have more data points on it. And I've, I've talked a lot about the idea of the Facebook and Netflix effect on a lot of my posts lately. And, you know, the Facebook effect is something that has been talked about in 2010, you know, right when Facebook was really getting hot and advisors were like, no, I don't need to worry about that. And they were right because, you know, less than 20% of their clients, uh, and I call their clients, the core demographic of 55 and older was using Facebook. But if you switch to now 2019, 2020, you have more than 55% of that age demographic using Facebook and nearly 40% of them using Netflix. And why does this even matter? It's because Netflix and Facebook use the data points that they have really effectively to create engaging content that's directed and relatable and personable to the specific person that keeps them scrolling and engaged. Whether it's right or wrong, that they keep people engaged and, and focused and they're delivering them stuff that they care about. And that's important. And then on the Netflix side, they're using all this data to, you know, I'm sitting there on a Friday night with my wife and I don't know what to watch. Netflix is telling me what to watch. Yet as financial advisors, we have we are a very reactive industry despite having all this data to where we should be very proactive in nature because of all the information that we know and that drives them from a psychological standpoint and from a, a behavioral standpoint and from an investment standpoint that we should be using these data points to trigger when we should be communicating with them to where we catch them in the moment to help them make better decisions. And I think that that is something that this industry is going to continue to get better at. There's companies out there that are doing a good job of it. We want to be part of that conversation over time as well. But that is where this industry needs to go because as advisors, we need to be using the data, not to do something and promote different products for our clients, 
but to better serve our clients and be more proactive and be a better service provider with more value to our clients, leveraging that data. And that's the name of the game. And that is, I do believe, where we're going to go. And the firms that do that really well, and it starts with consuming the data, organizing the data, the firms that do that really well, they're going to have massive success and their clients are going to have, you know, a beyond, I mean, immeasurable satisfaction, right? It's going to be off the charts satisfaction that they're going to have. And they're going to accomplish a lot of financial goals, I believe, if we can get to that point. I can see how passionate you are about this. And it's great to hear that. And this is what's pushing the industry forward. So Matt, for someone thinking that, you know, the tools are going to use this data, but at some point, I still need to capture it and organize it. So someone in a practice, like what are the key data points that you would say they should be looking at and focusing on to make sure that's captured correctly and accurately in a system to be used in the future? So, I mean, we got to take a step back and just start simple. You got to build the architecture with using systems like Wealthbox and like the CRMs out there that are really great and, and have their teams help you structure it to where you can actually consume that data and organize it in those systems. Those systems are powerful to help you organize that, right? It's creating the foundation for how do you organize it and making sure that you have the process, whether it's within regards to, you know, your prospecting workflow and the data gathering form and getting some of those data points in there and then having them populate into the CRM, or if it's in your client information sheets or if you're questioning that you do within your meetings, you have to have a standard process to get that data so that you get it consistently amongst everybody. So then you can start acting on it. And, you know, I, I look at it in, you know, you have some of the qualitative uh, or the, 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 the metric driven numbers, like, you know, their age, their desired retirement age, their, what is their net worth that they need to retire on? What's their net worth today, their earnings, all that type of stuff. Those are kind of the, the table stakes. I think that you start elevating the game when you start to understand, you know, hobbies, right? That's an elevation of the game. Hobbies, kids' desires, all those types, number of kids, you know, what their kids like to do, where, where do their kids go to school? Um, then you get into the, you know, what is their profession? You know, what were their parents' professions? Those types of things. But then you take another step up when you really get into the psychological aspect of it, right? And you have these standard questions. How do they, and, and Riskalyze is a company that does a great job of understanding risk and, and doing measures that way. But I think it even goes beyond that, right? You know, are they, are they a needy client? Are they a hands-off client? Are they a, uh, do they call you talking about headlines? Do they not call you about talking about headlines, right? Starting to get some of those types of data points from a behavioral psychological standpoint will really drive because I think we are always so much on the metric oriented side of it to where we just look at AUM, revenue per client, age, and that type of stuff, that we need to we need to get to a point where we pair that with you know non-metric oriented uh, the data points to really get insight that can be leveraged on, you know, my very worried clients, if the market goes down six percent, I probably should send them an email a quicker than my hands-off client. So I know I need to invest time into these people as opposed to investing time into everybody, which goes back and kind of brings the conversation full circle to not trying to be one thing for everybody, but really understand how you be great for certain people. Uh, and I think that this is how you can do it at scale. You don't have to worry about that email because Benjamin has already sent out the mail and scheduled the call to have that with the client. Yeah, 100%. The integration right. piece that you talk about, you know, pulling data from all these assessments that we're doing and organizing it and keeping it in one place. Like you said, it sounds simple, but actually that's a key role within a business. Like what's the best 
place in the business to put that responsibility? Should it be at the top? Should it be the you know the people driving the business, or should it be a separate role within the business? What have you found work well? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've seen some of the most successful firms out there actually have one person that's focused on you know you know data management and project project management to get you know processes in place to help with it, and they they move through the whole process and the project themselves. I, I think that that's an amazing uh, way of doing it. I, I don't think that that's the you know I think that's a little bit overkill, but I think it's great and it's been really really successful. I think it lives in the people that talk with the clients the most, and and to me. You know the advisor is is a really a key point, but but their focus is also on they have to strategize on the plan, build the plan out, ensure the plan is is tweaking and everything of that nature. And I think that you know the CSA is making sure that it's operationally run uh, day in and day out. And a lot of the analysis happens on the advisor side, whereas the operational communication stuff happens on the CSA operation side. And so I, I really think that it happens where you connect with the client the most, which happens to be in operations and CSA. And I think that that's where the role and the processes need to be in place where they can gather a lot of that information if trained properly and you have standardization and processes in place. I, I think that that's the kind of the role that I've seen be really successful if you don't have a full-time person just focus on data and process management automation uh, in your firm. So CSA being that client service associate, is that right? Exactly, okay. exactly. And then yeah. using that within the business and saying, okay, how do we free up some of your time so that you can go out and, you know, some of the terms are like surprise and delight to your clients and actually get to spend time on things that has got a greater payoff in terms of just doing low-level administration work that can Yeah, how do we elevate you to more sophisticated work, right? How do we and allow you to, to communicate and, and build relationships with people, right? And how can we allow our, our operations team as opposed to just processing, right? Which is such an old-school way of doing things. How can we help our teams, you know, build relationships and have conversations and call their clients on, a, on their anniversary and say, hey, happy anniversary. What are you all doing? That conversation right there gives me a data point, right? Because I say, how are you doing? They're great. Okay, you know, what are y'all doing for your anniversary? Oh, it's our 50th anniversary. Oh, okay, so now I know that they're, they're celebrating their 50, so now I know going forward what year it's gonna be. Where are y'all gonna go? Oh, we're going on this trip, we love Italy. Oh, all right, now I've understood something. And so I'm able to build this, this data set if I understand what data points are really relevant in these conversations without the client ever knowing, which they should never know. It should just be out of the out of the kindness of you wanting to serve your clients, but you're also ensuring that you're helping to serve them in a unique way going forward based on that conversation. So it's it's really killing two birds with one stone. So Matt, then do we retrain the people in our business to get a different role or do we just free up their time and kind of how, how do we handle the human element of that that might not have the necessary skills yeah, it depends, right? It depends on what their desires are, right? And this gets into people management, right? We've, we've always yeah. said, well, this is what you do. This is the role that it is. And I think that it has to be a lot more connective. And some people are going to say, you know what? I really don't want to do that. And that's okay. And so let's go find the right seat on the bus for you uh, in your role uh, of doing that. But I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are like, yes, this sounds great. And their, their role is going to evolve, right? Yeah, you're going to be doing operations, but we're going to free up time for you to scale you to where you're doing 50% operations and 50% of, of communicating with clients. And you're not going to serve them as the advisor necessarily, but you're going to meet them and be their friend and understand them. Um, and, and there's something powerful in that. And so, you know, there's not like a one way fits all, but I, I do think that no matter what it is, 
everybody's probably has a desire of what they want to do. And we have to find a way to free up their time, whether it's to communicate with people or to do one specific task more often. We have to find a way to free up all the other things to allow them to focus on what they desire to make it as a, a as valuable of a and 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 uh, you know valuable of a, of a job that's satisfying to them. There's a lot of work that Gallup has done around you know being able to give someone the time and space to focus on their core strengths. And what you're saying is that free them up and give them you know the pay, a place to shine in the things that they enjoy naturally and shine at naturally. Exactly. That's a hundred percent it. Right. And, and, and that, that then makes you a more desirable workplace. You get more out of your team uh, and it, and it, and it helps everybody involved, clients, team members, owners, et cetera, across the board. Matt. So then looking at all this technology and if you were in a position to hire a financial planner or an advisor to work with you and your family, like what are the things that, that are non-negotiables that you would look for in a financial planner? It's a really good question. I, I think that you know, first and foremost, I need to have a human relationship. I have to have connectivity, right? I, I, I don't, I have to have my one person that I know I'm able to talk to and that, that gets and knows me at all times. I need to be able to connect with them digitally. Uh, I'm always on the go. So I need to be able to, to, to connect with them digitally. Um, and I need to, I need to know that they're following through for me, right? I, I don't, uh, I want them, I don't, want to have to remember, right? And I think about this, you know, with all my partners that I work with in my, my financial team, personally, right, my accountant, my state attorney, um, and, and, and all of that, right? I don't want to have to go to them with like, why don't we do this? I want them to come to me and say, this is what we need to do, because I know your situation really well. And um, I, you know, I would expect that out of my wealth manager, hey, you know, th- I, I've seen what we've been doing, this is what I think you need to do. Um, this is my thoughts and I know you and your family really well, and I put a lot of thought into it. So I need that human relationship so I can build trust and connection. Uh, I need to be able to interact digitally and it goes beyond just a portal and email, right? I, I need to have, uh, you know, this digital engagement. Um, and then I need to have proactivity, uh, about me specifically, right? I want someone to be thinking of me and what's best for me, um, and my family, which may not be the right thing or best thing for you know, their other family that they're working with. And, uh, and that comes from a depth of knowing what makes me and my family tick and, um, and what our goals and objectives are and how we want to get there. It sounds like having that structured data and being able to, to mine that and say, Hey, Matt, we've looked at your portfolio, we've looked at this piece, and we think this is really relevant and suitable for the phase that you're going through now is is key. And it's something that, you know, we're not seeing that much in the industry at the moment, but hopefully that'll be changing as we get used to the services and providers giving us that amazing experience because it's the bar is not super high at the moment. And I'm wondering kind of when's that bar lifting? No, I mean, I think it's, it, it, there's a few aspects of it, right? It's a mentality shift, which we alluded to that's yeah. happening in our space. And I think that that's phenomenal. I think that there's a lot of innovation, which is going to spur and, and, and trigger people to change, right? This innovation that's happening over the past 10 years, in my mind, was spurred by robo-advisors. It scared the living bejesus out of a lot of people. And they said they got to make some changes. And, and it also showed that there's opportunity here, right? Um, and so it caused a lot of innovation. A lot of the greatest companies that have been built in the last 10 years came you know, a lot of the most innovative companies that we see in our space have come in the last 10 years. And I think it's phenomenal. Um, but I think it also comes to an acceptance of the industry from a regulation standpoint and from the behemoths that control the industry to open up their, 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 um, 
their kind of their doors to allow for innovation from others as opposed to trying to own it, right? We've been an industry that's always been like, this is my data. This is all of ours. We're not going to allow anybody to tap into it because we want to control it. Um, we have to relieve that. And it starts from the top. And I think that there's some firms that are doing a really great job of it now of opening up their APIs and opening up their access points and investing a lot of money in that. Uh, and I think we have to continue that. And then I think it's going to come from a regulation side. This is a highly regulated industry. Um, and I think rightfully so, right? I mean, we're dealing with some precious cargo with, with people's life savings. Um, but from a regulatory standpoint, we have to, and I think like what they've done with the marketing rules here in the States is, you know, the advertising rules and the changes they made, you know, those things weren't changed. The last thing they were, time they were updated was in the eighties. That was before the internet, right? And so for us to still be living and abiding by those rules is, is somewhat silly. And I understand that we have a lot of balances. So, um, you know, I think that regulation has to stay up with the times and give and help to spur innovation because regulation tends to stifle it. Um, and we, but we have to find that balance and it's hard, right? You're going to go all the way to one side of the pendulum and it's going to cause issues and you go to the other side and it causes issues and find an equilibrium. I'm not saying it's easy, uh, but we as an industry have to continue to push for trying to find that equilibrium to spur innovation uh, because it's for the betterment of the client over time. Yeah, we're seeing that regulatory push within South Africa, where I think it's it's reached an extreme where a lot of people are saying, hey, this is hindering our business and it means that we have to get out of the industry, specifically if you're getting closer to the end of, of your career. But what that's also allowed is a, is a massive wave of opportunity where younger advisors can step in and say, hey, let's, let's build this into a proper business or let's use compliance to build a better business. So there's, I guess there's two sides to the same dilemma. Yeah, I think that it's... Um I think it's a little bit of everything, right? And I think our industry's mentality and industry's focus needs to evolve, and it is. And I think that we've made, like, we got to just take a step back, right? In the past 10 years, this industry has made amazing strides. I think, and I've talked about it often, this is, if you want to start out a career in an industry where you can have an impact and be on the leading edge of something really exciting, there is no better industry than our industry today. Because- we have motivation to make changes. There's a ton of innovation and you still have an ability to have a say within those firms. And you have an ability to have a huge impact. And there's no better space for us to get into because I think that the tide is starting to change. And, uh, and, and it's for the betterment of being innovative and forward thinking, which is all going to be better for the client longer term uh, and for the business. And so I, I think that it's happening. We have to take a step back as much as there's challenges, we have to also realize how great we've done over the past 10 years. And it gives me a ton of uh, you know, encouragement and inspiration for where we're going to be in 10 years from today. Matt, that is such a great message. And I think that's a brilliant place for us to end this conversation. If people want to get hold of you or want to reach out and have a discussion, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, uh, you know, how we connected, right? Uh, you can go to LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter at Matt Reiner. Uh, you can go to mattreiner.com. We're about to launch a brand new uh, website there. A new book is going to be coming out um, uh, in August as well. You know, please ping me if you'd want a copy. I'm happy to send one to you. Um, and you know, Benjamin's website, skipbenjamin.com. So you know, go there, go to mattreiner.com, find me on all the social networks on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter, and uh, that's where the best place to find me. Thank you so much for coming in today, Matt, and Thanks. we look forward to having you and all the best with Benjamin. And Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was a ton of fun. Always love talking about this. Yeah, cheers.